I'm Brad Hogg, and you're listening to State of Play. It is a new season of State of Play, and it is very early morning here um, on the couch where we're recording. I'm a very, very weary Alistair Belling. And my name is Miles Cade. And Miles, I went and saw the acclaimed metal band Tool last night. But I think the bigger news that's about to hit Olympic Park is the start of the <laughs> Women's International T20 World Cup, which is very, very exciting. Like on, that's not, not even a joke. Like, yeah, it's, I, ge- it's generally not even a joke. Yeah. Have you seen how many Indians are going to tune into this? Yes. And Bangladeshis and Pakistanis and Australians for that matter. Um, Folks, this week, we're just going to do some team previews and basically talk about what our expectations for the tournament are. Now, Miles, let's start off with practice matches. Mm. Does anyone really care about practice matches? Practice matches are a part of any world tournament and all all the teams we're playing with each other. Um, The thing about cricket is it's a game where the difference between being at 90% and being at 100% really makes a difference. Because it's a game of such fine margins, maybe more than any other sport, like everything is a fine margin in cricket. Being on at 90% means you might get out for a low score or, you know, just your your accuracy won't be quite on or or whatever that looks like in practice. But um, really for the players, it's just about getting used to the surfaces, I think. Um, So there have been heaps of games being played at the moment. And, for example, Sri Lanka demolished England last night. But I don't think anyone's reading much into the results. And same with the World Cup when it happened last year. The, the results don't mean anything. It's good for the players. In, in, in the Men's World Cup, that is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, look, I, I think the best thing about these games that are happening all over town at the moment is it, it gives a lot of these teams just more time in the middle because I think what a lot of people forget is that, you know, the Pakistani women's team or the Tigeresses um, from Bangladesh, they they don't get anywhere near as many games as the big three do, um, you know, in, India, England, Australia. Interestingly, I think it's, I mean, and we'll get to this when we look at these lower, like the, 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 the really bottom teams, Thailand have games coming through their ears because they're playing all the associate teams heaps at but it is that, that second tier. They don't, they're hardly playing at all, especially Ab- not in Australia. Absolutely. And, you know, there are maybe some cultural factors that go into that. Like, you know, it's very well documented. For example, that the um, Pakistani women, when they started in the 90s, I think it was, you know, they received lots and lots of death threat, threats and had to hide their uniforms in bags and stuff. So it's a really, and like this, so this is like fresh in memory um, and still something that probably has to be navigated. Um, all the time. Um, with the f- with the tournament, there's a couple of rule changes. The biggest one is for the first time in world cricket, the uh, third umpire will be calling the front foot no ball. Mm. Now, everyone's got a hot take on this, Miles. So what is your Coles analysis? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, the, 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 is there anything bad about it? Like I, Nothing bad about this. <laughs> I wonder if it's the start I think I think there is you you'll be hard pressed to find someone who thinks it's bad, but I wonder if for all the good it's doing, there it is the start of the takeover from the on-field umpire. Obviously, that's altogether. Good. Yeah, and obviously, umpires, human umpires, are prone to error. Computers are less and less so. Um, uh, just take it, it. It changes the game, right? Like uh, beyond the 
you know, no, no balls will be called more now, which is good. And more accurately, bowlers will be kept accountable. Um, it is the start of, um, I think, quite a big change in umpiring. I wonder how it's going to work. Like, when they run up and, you know, if they overstep, does, like, a massive air horn go off or something <laughs> in the background? Like, or, you know, in tennis, someone will call foot fault. Whenever a foot fault goes down, is someone going to be, like... Like like mic'd up NFL style where they can like yell it to <laughs> boom it to the stadium as the ball's being delivered. <laughs> I presume it's a it's in the umpire's ears would be my guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would love it if they sampled Andrew O'Keefe from the Australian Game Show Deal of No Deal yeah. or No Deal, just being like no ball <laughs> over the stadium yeah. PA. We'll just hire a darts announcer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be absolutely amazing. Um, Miles, um, something else that I think is notable with this with this tournament is how short it is, and this is a huge blessing, I think, to me, mm. uh, to everyone watching, even um, purely because too much of the good thing is, as we've seen with the BBL, as we, you know, as we even see with the men's World Cup from time to time, it becomes wearisome. Uh, I think back to 2007 in the Caribbean where the World Cup, I think, stretched on for over 60 matches and, you know, Herschel Gibbs whacking 36 off and over from the Netherlands couldn't really couldn't really justify having to watch that many games of cricket, especially when dead rubbers begin being played and the like. Um, whereas here, there's two groups. Everyone plays each other once. You go straight to two semis and then a final. I really do enjoy the idea of the five-team final series. And I would love for that to be adopted by the ICC just for World Tournament. Big Bash style. <laughs> I think it'd be great. I think it's really cool because it, yeah. it definitely means that, you know, if you, like, you can't just have the, you can't just turn up on the right day and win. You have to consistently show you that you've improved. Mm. Um, the problem is you can't do that with a group situation. Like, you have to have everyone play everyone. Yeah. And have it as a single ladder and then take a top five. Otherwise, un- unless you do a... Net run rate or something. Well, it's a bit harsh. You can't really... <laughs> like, net run rate between groups could just be a, a, a weird thing. You can not lose a game then and then be eliminated while, you know, <laughs> some some associate goes through because I've had a really lucky hit out one day. So, I can imagine that'll leave a bit of taste in the mouth. Um, but... Yeah, I, I like I agree. Like not everything's perfect, but I think that the length of this tor- of this tournament being such a shorter format, it's going to pay dividends in terms of public engagement. I think big bash administrators for the men's should really be taking note of how you can uh, do a do a T20 tournament. Um Brad Hogg last week as listeners would hopefully know, uh, told us that, you know, the BPL over in Bangladesh is short and sharp and players don't have to be away from their families for too long. And that in turn has a knock-on effect of people being more engaged. So I think every, I think the scene is so set here for it just to be a, a historic moment for women's cricket. There's no men's international cricket interfering here, which is a great thing. I know that, you know, the recent men's tour to India was roundly criticised and the guys are <laughs> nipping off now to play some T20s and ODIs over in South Africa. I am okay with that, given that the women's um, showpiece tournament only comes around once every four years and now Australia is hosting it and the conversation around women's cricket has changed. I think it's good that, you know, the guys are sort of clearing off and giving some space a little bit, so to speak. I mean... This just really has the chance to be the perfect cricket tournament. Um, 
I, I think there's a lot of anticipation. There's been enough space in the summer as organized. Like we, we talked at the start of summer about how ridiculous the, the, the season format was, but it feels like what they've like lost in kind of having this confusing long season they've made up for, by it doesn't feel crammed or something. And I think there's, there's, there's been a bit of breathing space and now people are really ready for a tournament like this. I feel I have the same feeling about this that I used to have about the ODI tri-series back in the noughties. You know, like the test matches would finish and then you'd have like a solid couple of weeks off and then, you know, a third nation would arrive and get ready and it was actually exciting. It was like, here we go. We're going to now have some one days and it's going to be the main thing that people are going to be watching and I feel the same way about this, whereas with the Big Bash, you know, people got, like, once again, the same old conversation, got a little bit over it by the end of it. And so, and, and as well, because women's cricket hasn't been in the public in spotlight in Australia for that that long, relatively speaking, I think there's a big novelty factor as well. Can I say that? Like, I know it sounds a little bit rough, but I, I think that, you know, it's actually something that's a positive in that they, a lot of these players people haven't seen play before. Uh, Thailand is a huge novelty team. Like, it's not just any associate. Like, when you think associates, you think Scotland or the Netherlands or Namibia having a crack. So, there's a lot of lot of good things well, <laughs> lining I, I, up here. I mean, you say novelty, and at first I hear that and go, oh, like, the, you know, women, the women's cricket has been around a lot. Um, but... I wonder if the space made by the lack of men's internationals over the next few weeks, well, just the, the, the a generally clear schedule. Yeah, in, in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within, within waking hours. Yes, yeah. I mean, who's no, no one watches cr- one-day cricket in South Africa here. Apart from a us. Horrible, horrible time, same with <laughs> England. Um, I th- I think that is a, that that's new and the fact that it's really going to be spotlight like front and center um, means that for the Australian audience there, I think there will be a lot of novelty. Why don't we move on and, and talk about all the teams? Alistair, we'll just go um, down each group. Great. Do you want to start, Miles? We've, di- we've divvied this up. So kicking off, we would have uh, the home team and I w- I'm not confident in saying the favourites to lift the trophy, but we have Australia, so why don't you give us the rundown? Yeah, so for each team, we'll just give you a bit of an overview and a player to watch. You say you're not confident in uh, in naming them the hot favourites. Um, I I th- I think they are ob- objectively the favourites. Um, recent form would be to point to the try series that. Uh, we've hosted against England and India recently. Um, we lost a game to each of those teams. In it was it was a very short series. I think just um, they all played each other once or twice, maybe in the in a group stage, and twice. then twice twice in the group <laughs> stage, and then a um, then a final, which Australia won. But we lost to England in a super over game. Just a fantastic match. Um, if you missed it. Um, it was one of the first games in the series. Yeah, with India losing the final, but they did manage to chase down a total of 173 that Australia made earlier in the tournament, which was, I, th- I think, the third or fourth highest chase in T20 cricket ever. So there's obviously teams that are around them, and it's not like Australia are as dominant as maybe um, the kind of front and page media 
would suggest. Can I say something about that chase? Just very quickly. Mm. There's a lot of articles going around about India's, you know, in quotation marks, record-breaking chase. Mm. They didn't break any records. It was maybe like, like you just said, the fourth yeah. or third highest. <laughs> let's just let's just reserve the big gun yeah, yeah. Uh, claims for when it actually happens. Thanks. <laughs> Moving it's on. A, a Richie Benno tragic uh, moment. <laughs> well, I think um, maybe a young Mark Taylor or someone described a, a, an event on the cricket field as tragic, and Benno just stopped him and said. That was not tragic. Yeah, <laughs> Save it's your not words. Tra- no one died. It's all yeah. good. Um, uh, in, it, worth saying as well, Australia have won four of the six World T20 women's competitions, um, which is obviously significant. And current champions, and, and they'll obviously be looking to um, make it two from two to follow up their win in 2018. I have thoughts about this though, because a big part of Australia being so dominant in the past is obviously the huge amount of funding that Australia has, has been mm. having comparatively to other nations. And that's sort of evened out, so to speak over time. For example, now Pakistan have just for the first time essentially contracted some of their women's players, which is very, very exciting. And so you have the winds of change, which means you're going to have more competitive opposition. Mm. And I think the expectation is on Australia more than it ever has been before mm. case in point, Grand final on International Women's Day with Katy Perry. Boy, uh, organisers sweating yeah, yeah, yeah. on Australia, making that gra- that granny. If you have New Zealand versus Pakistan, <laughs> uh, like I don't think you're gonna you're gonna have the same kind of uh, turnout. It might be a bit of a quiet evening for yeah. Perry, so to and speak. A, a different kind of stage might, you know, we'll see how different teams perform under pressure and. It's a new kind of pressure, really. Yeah, and also, also a lot's being said about Alicia Healy's form at the moment. Um, I have it on good authority that her spot is not under threat for the first game no, tomorrow. No, there's, there's no chance I mean, that. yeah, she's, yeah. she's still a hugely dominant BBL. She just, you know, towards the back end of the season, maybe had a little wobble. And these are professional sportswomen. They're allowed to, they're allowed to not find their groove from time to time. She also scored 150 against Sri Lanka in a T20, like... Four months ago, so you know that, exactly. that that's not that long in sporting terms. Exactly. And although um, she may be out of form currently, there's a whole bunch of kind of key players that have found form recently, especially Beth Mooney, but also Ash Gardner, Jess Jonathan. My player to watch is actually Taylor Vlamink, wow, who this is niche. Yeah. Well, I mean, she she's very young. She's really got pace. Um, and the kind of pace that really could upset top orders that aren't as used to the the kind of heat that she's going to be able to bring. She's pretty raw and um, she took a bunch of wickets in the tri-series recently. Pretty interesting to see how she slots into an already pretty experienced bowling lineup. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on, Alistair. And next up in Group A is India. Great. So India have been very busy lately. Uh, been playing a lot of games. Like we just said, they've been in the tri-series where they chase down that not record-breaking total, but impressive nonetheless. Um, I've named Harman Preet Kaur. I'm very, very sorry if I get the names wrong, by the way. So we're still working this out. Um, well, she, she'll be fairly familiar to Australians because she's played for the Thunder a bunch of seasons, actually, in the Big Bash. She's yeah, been really good. She, she, she has been really, really good. And she's, I think she's got the consistency that, 
you look for in a player. She doesn't always, you know, smash centuries, so to speak, but she, she constantly gets herself in and, and makes the most of her time in the middle, which I think is great. But I don't want to focus on her too much when it comes to India because they really are focusing on the entire team effort and their coach <laughs> uh, said, I think about 10 months ago to the Hindu times, I believe it was that um, the team had finally as a collective moved past the mental fear of getting out when it comes to batting. It always comes back to batting with cricket. It's always about building a big score to then bowl at or to be able to confidently, you know, put pressure on the other team's bowling. So I think batting, like how strong your batting lineup is going to determine how deep you go in this tournament. And India have improved vastly since the last tournament in 2018. Um, and also apparently fitness has been their, their real focus in the, in the past year with their training as well. So I think India are going to make the semifinals is my, is my call. I think, yeah, that's, that's just yeah. <laughs> nice and simple. I think, I think they look really, really good. So they're the two front runners in Group A. And next up, we have New Zealand. They've been at home to South Africa this year, losing 3-0 in the ODIs. But in the T20s, they've had a lot more success. They've won 3-1. They dominated all the games they won, and they lost on the second last ball for the game they lost. Isn't that the most New Zealand thing ever, though? Yeah. Same with the men's, you know, like get absolutely pumped in your T20 fixtures against India and then go on to dominate yeah. <laughs> the ODI. So they're, they're a hot and cold team. They're black and white, you might say. <laughs> Almost literally. Um, uh, the problem is kind of like the men's team, they've, uh, in, in New Zealand, they've struggled for matches and the last games they played of international cricket before this series against South Africa was in March last year here in Australia. They lost three from three that series. That's absolutely ridiculous. And, the, and, and this shows the problem with, uh, you know, the women's game at the moment in terms of the way games div- divvied up and the way teams aren't nurtured, you know, to the full health. You can listen to our episode with Jeff Lemon if you want to mm-hmm. hear some more, you know, straight shots on this issue. But I think with New Zealand, it's really disappointing that that's the case given the wealth of talent that they have. Sophie Devine, their new captain, another former guest of our show that you can listen to. Um, it's really going to, like, all the pressure falls on her. And she really is under pressure because she's like the Lionel Messi <laughs> of women's cricket in a way. Like, she's absolutely the player to watch for New Zealand, just and, by the way. And for, for the entire tournament, because the, the conversation around her is going to be can she perform in international colours? in a big tournament. And that's why I make the Lionel Messi comparison mm. because... Obviously, he um, never got the job done with Argentina. Yeah, for football, but was is outstanding yeah. for Barcelona. And same with Devine, she's outstanding for WA. You know, like, it's, it, it's hard to put into words the season that she had for the strikers, but... You know, can she turn it on for the Silver Ferns? Who have a great kit, by the way. Yeah. I love the injection of pink on black. I think it's a, <laughs> it's my pick for kit yeah, of the tournament. Nice. Let's get that one in there early. Worth saying, Divine's actually coming off a ridiculous century recently against South Africa. 105 off something like 60 balls. Yeah. So um, They've also got a new coach, Bob Carter. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up with that. Their former skipper, Amy Satterthwaite, just had a baby. So that's why we see Devine going into the top job. So there's a little bit of a factor that you don't you don't often have to think about with the men's, but, you know, adds to the excitement. 
Let's move on to Bangladesh, still in Group A. The Tigresses, um, yes, the cult team of State of Play. Well, I'll say Thailand is the cult team for this tournament, but we all, we've we've been very open about our affection for Bangladesh. Um, they didn't get straight into the World Cup. They had to go through the qualification mm-hmm. stage, but they, they swept that with uh, winning yeah. all four games. Yeah. Um, the player to watch for me is Romana Ahmed, who is a leg spinner and she can, you know, tweak it around, bowls in a cap. I think there's always a little bit of uh, <laughs> funness to come to that. Um, and they, they also just recently had a good quadrangular series against Thailand and India B. To me, the, the, the big thing with Bangladesh will be if they... Are they in the same group as India? Yes. Yeah, so that'll, group a. that'll be a great game because India and Bangladesh, as far as international cricket is concerned, I think have a very, very healthy building rivalry. We just saw Bangladesh upset India in the final of the Under-19 World Cup in the men's. Um, Bangladesh and India in men's test matches just played the first ever day-night test as well, which is very exciting. So I think that the, um, the subcontinental... Uh, cricketing, you know, top league, so to speak, is really turning into something special with all these matchups. So, if we're honest, I don't think Bangladesh is gonna progress beyond the, the group stage. But, but I, I would love to see them put in a showing there. Next up, we've got Sri Lanka to round off Group A, who, like New Zealand, have struggled for games recently in international cricket. And I think many listeners remember they came here in Australia. That They were the last international games they've played before the qualifiers. They lost 3-0 in the T20s, 3-0 in the one-dayers, got absolutely demolished on all fronts. They're ranked eighth in the world, um, head of Bangladesh. But uh, I think they really could struggle here. Um just Bangladesh have a lot more games under the belt in recent years. You mentioned the quadrangular series, which India A and India B were in. And India B won all of their games. India A lost all of their games. <laughs> Just niche fact there about that <laughs> quadrangular series. Unreal. But um, Sri Lanka haven't played since, uh, it was October, I think, when when that those series wrapped up against Australia. But they demolished England last night, as I mentioned, in the warm-up game. means almost nothing, but they will take some confidence from that. What's the most Sri Lankan thing that could happen in this tournament? Well, like, they, they win it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I think the Sri Lanka men had a pretty Sri Lanka series in the World Cup, which was just a surprise run and just somehow staying in it. Yeah, and like, then, like just being in the conversation right until the final yeah. paragraph. And it's like, what are you still doing? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got one player who really um, could be a decisive, um, like a difference. Uh, that's Chamari Adapatu, which some listeners remember, remember. She actually got a century against Australia in one of the games. She is not a quick scorer. Um, she hasn't got the six-hitting ability of some of the other kind of leading candidates, someone like Sophie Devine. Um, but she can build an innings better than almost anyone in, in women's cricket at the moment. And um, if they're going to win it, it'll be because they managed to build innings around her. It'd be interesting to see how they can transfer, transfer that to T20 form. But I agree. I don't think it bodes well for Sri Lanka, but expect the unexpected. So that's Group A. Obviously, Australia and India are the favourites to go through to the semis with the top two making it through. 
Alistair, if anyone's going to disrupt, if, if say if either Australia or India just have a poor tournament, who's going to be the one taking their place? New Zealand for me. I think India still have a few bogey games. And like I said earlier, I think some of the, the big matchups could actually maybe dazzle them a little bit. So I do think India v Bangladesh is a game to watch in that sense. Um, and you do get the feeling that for New Zealand, even though they haven't had as much match experience recently, a lot more, like all their women have had some really, really good domestic outings in Australia in particular. So you would think it's going to really begin coming together for them. So they're the, they're the dark horse of this group. Let's move on to Group B and we'll kick things off with England. This is my pick to win the, to lift the trophy, to be honest. Interesting call. I was looking at um, betting odds. Not that, not that um, we encourage betting or are happy with betting's influence over sport and women's cricket in particular, actually. Um, it's a but a bit close to the bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Australia are like England are way out behind Australia, which I think expresses more about the confidence of the Australian market in Australia than anything else. But obviously, England are a very successful international side. Um, in recent history, uh, they were obviously here and they've been around in Australia for a while. Um, they beat both Australia and India in um, in, in games. They've also just had a, a good series against Pakistan in Malaysia, of all places. Mm. Been slogging away in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, crazy. So just, just all over the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oceanic region. <laughs> <laughs> really getting acclimatized yeah. to humidity. Um, the thing about England is that they are possibly the most experienced side in the competition, although we may have to get some numbers up about that one. The question for them is just whether they'll get, whether they'll turn up or whether they'll be the kind of team that gets rolled for 116 like they did in the Tri-Series final. My play to watch for England is Sophie Eccleston, who mm. is a left-arm spinner, orthodox. She's been in and out of the team a little bit, hasn't she, as well, in past years? I reckon she's consolidated her spot with some really good performances in the tri-series. Um, although we'll see, obviously, you know, people are in and out of the side. I think there are very few, when they're on form, who are harder to hit away out of the square than, uh, than Sophie Eccleston. The reason England are my pick for this is because they, they literally have nothing to lose here. They're the reigning champs for the Women's ODI World Cup, which was you know a very historic game with Lords selling out in every section except for the members. Um, whereas Australia have all the pressure on them to, to bring it home, you know, from this huge advertising campaign to Hearts writing songs for them and shredding his guitar and, you know, International Women's Day at the MCG. So I think England can just be swept up in the party, have a good time and walk home with the silverware. So that's my, that's my big call for the entire tournament. All right. Let's talk about West Indies. Let's talk about the West. I mean, gee, even the West Indies want to talk about the West Indies. So, like, you know, the Windies, they lifted the trophy in 2016, but they are they have been capitulating of late. Uh, it's fairly depressing. I believe they lost about nine games on the trot. Um, Anissa Muhammad, the... Uh, 
the tweaker has said she's vice captain. She came out in the press recently and said that they want to destroy Australia's party. Um, and I believe she refers to, no, she doesn't refer to herself as the world boss. Um, Deandra Doton calls herself the world boss. And she's also been very, uh, been blowing a lot of hot air about the Windy's chances. Look, they're not giving themselves, doing themselves any favors with this because they have absolutely not shown any, <laughs> even the slightest hint of form, um, you know, to push deep into the tournament. Stephanie Taylor is going to have to be the one to fire them over the line if they're going to have any chance with this. You know, the big hitting all-rounder who can be very, very economical with the ball. I think it all really depends on her. Uh, Haley Matthews as well. Um can really take the game away if she doesn't get caught. <laughs> but I just think, like, the Windies are great. The Win- the Windies play entertaining cricket. They have a really great culture of just, you know, taking the game on and sort of being very, very fun with it all. But I, I think this is a bit of a write-off, unfortunately, for this this tournament. Mm, there, you heard, there you go. Heard it from Alistair. West Indies are going to struggle. Let's talk about South Africa. And... Um, Marazan Cap, yeah, well, I'm most excited for. That's right. I think that they're, they're, it's a kind of team and a name that go hand in hand a little, like New Zealand and Sophie Devine. Obviously, Cap lit it up in the Big Bash recently. Um, you just wonder though if the rest of the team aren't kind of explosive enough for this. this feels to me like a one-day specialist side playing in a T20 competition, and and absolutely a bit like Australia in the last 15 or so years since like we've never really been T20 specialists and um, hence the struggle in, in T20 competitions basically since the start. Um, I think that'll be South Africa's weakness. They've never really hit their stride and even Marazan Cap has never really hit her stride in the international format of the, in the shortest international format. Absolutely. She has the potential to be as good as Elise Perry, statistically speaking. And, Absolutely. And be the best all-rounder in the world. It's just a matter of whether she can actually turn it on at the right time. <coughs> Obviously, with World Cups as well, there's the South Africans of Chokers mythology. I feel like that's died off in recent years. Now the focus is more on the Kiwis. So, you know, maybe a little bit of reprieve will help them out there. But do you, do you see big things for the South Africans for them getting out of this group? Well, this is certainly the more open of the groups with Australia, India and England as the kind of big three in, in women's cricket um, and only England of those three teams in this group. I think they certainly could grab that second spot and they've they've got a, an experienced side. They're more used to these kind of conditions. But, you know, it's a spot that could be taken by teams like Pakistan, who are up next. Yeah, I mean, Pakistan, like we said earlier, it's an amazing story with how they've gotten to where they are. Um, They just had a match abandoned against India, Mm. which is a big loss as far as broadcast numbers go. Um, They've reduced the amount of contracted players, but I believe in doing so, they've also raised... The, the payment rates of the centrally contracted players. So they have 10 centrally contracted players now. Um, again, they just really need to fire with the, with the, with the bat. Uh, Nita Dar had a really terrible WBBL for the Thunder, like very, very ordinary, but she, she is probably the player that the team will really be needing to build around. Um, and hopefully she'll be up 
uh, up for it in, in in her home colours. They did just get swept by England though, as I said earlier, playing in Malaysia, um, and having a few cultural issues as well, like Saint Amir, Saint Amir, maybe is how you say it, um, has just been kicked out of the squad, uh, you know, for essentially attitude issues, and she has over a hundred international T Twenty games under her belt, I believe. So it's either that or it's a hundred uh, limited overs caps, including ODIs. But, you know, when, you know, when there's turnover, there can often be new beginnings. And so I think Pakistan will be interesting to watch. I wouldn't be confident, though, picking them to progress from this group. I think it'll be South Africa to go through with England here. But I do think South Africa v um, West Indies or v Pakistan could be a very, very entertaining game. So I, I, I still think Pakistan will be able to to be able to turn it on. If they do somehow get out of this group and India make it through to the semis, then that could set up an absolutely mammoth semi-final. Yeah. What this does mean is that the first place finish in Group A is going to be pretty significant, which could be the game between Australia and India for that result assuming they win all their other games which is no guarantee but whoever finishes first in group a will get to play second in group b which could potentially be a weaker team um right and so i think they'll be very keen to win that game in the group stage and not just settle for second in group a finally we've got thailand who obviously there's a huge amount of anticipation for them making it in and it's just Brilliant that they're here. They're, they're I'll be at Thailand v Pakistan at uh, Sydney Showground. You can oh. see me playing drums on the field if anyone's <laughs> going to be there. So <laughs> come say hey. Um, they're just stoked to be here, to be honest. They are an interesting side. I, I can't think of a team in world cricket that is as bowler heavy in terms of how they win their games. They win their games just in incredibly low-scoring kind of shootouts. Um, but there's so much more than the results in it for Thailand, and they'll, they'll be looking to win as many hearts as they do matches. Well, I mean, that's already a given um, yeah, for them yeah. coming over here. I, the thing I'm curious about with Thailand is how much Thailand is going to get behind Thailand. Um, yeah. <clears throat> this is something we don't really have any gauge on, and you know, we'll try to get a gauge on it as the tournament progresses. But... Thailand, if we're going to be brutally honest, it's not a team you often see at, you know, well-televised world events. Obviously, you know, they have com- competitors in like the Olympics and stuff, but you don't see them at the Men's Football World Cup. You don't see them at Rugby World Cups. You don't see them. You, you've never, we've never seen them in the Cricket World Cup before either. So this is, I think it'd be a moment just for the country in general. Look, there'll be, there'll be some interest there. And if they manage to get a result out of Pakistan or, or someone like that, that could be huge. And when Australia goes and plays in random tournaments, everyone gets behind them, especially if they pull out a random result. Yeah. I mean, imagine the way I'm thinking of this is imagine if the Australian men's ice hockey team got through to the winter Olympics, it would just be hype city, especially if they were able to knock over, you know, one of the weakest Scandinavian teams like, like Greenland. I doubt they have a team, Iceland or something. So yeah, I've, I've got a player to watch who has, frankly, ridiculous numbers in the international game. Her name is Sulepan Laomi, I believe is how you pronounce it. She has... She's a, a left-arm Chinaman bowler, like left-arm oh, leg spin. I wouldn't use that word. <laughs> We're talking about a Thai player, but anyhow. Uh, her career economy rate in T20 games, and that's in, in something like 40 
international games is 3.5 runs and over. Jeez. In the in the qualifiers when when they they made it through, she went at only a shade over 3 and over. Um she had a spell of four overs like one or two for five um something like that. So look, if they manage to strangle a team, like if they manage to win, it'll be because she's able to strangle a team just with some ridiculous tricksy which, oh, like bowling. Would she very much be the Rashid Khan of this tournament? I mean, in in terms of a, a, a wrist spinner carrying a team on, on their backs, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'd be interesting. I, I just hope they get a lot of LBWs. So then you can see all the pad tie and pad CU jokes <laughs> going around on Twitter. I think it'll be a great, a great moment for the floodgates to open. Well, look, folks, we're kicking the tournament off on Thursday. We're not we, but <laughs> the ICC. Uh, yes, tournament starts on Thursday. By the time you hear this episode, it'll most likely already be underway. Um, we're very, very excited to be, you know, bringing you weekly. Uh, deep dives on what's going on and looking at all the funny storylines that are happening and, you know, getting behind Bangladesh and Thailand in particular. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic tournament and we're super stoked to be bringing it to you. Uh, just as a reminder, we've um, we've had Sophie Devine on the show before, the captain of New Zealand. You can go back a few episodes and find that. And it's also very much worth, I would say, listening to our previous episodes with uh, Tim Cutler from Emerging Cricket, who goes into, you know, you know, so for example, I think he touches on the tie team and also um, previous chats with Jeff Lemon and Brad Hogg as well. So there's quite a few little episodes you can go back and find to really get a really nice colored perspective on this tournament. Uh, if you could please leave us a little review on uh, iTunes as well, that'd be really great. I know we've got some new listeners to the show, which is very, very exciting. Hello, how are you going? I like to make big calls and they're always wrong, but you know, that's why we're here. So until next time. Khan, Bangladesh. I'm Alistair Belling. And I'm Miles Cade. See ya. <laughs>